are. Mike, uh, he, he didn't think we would be this far along. And I, <laughs> uh, so Isaiah 26 and 27 are, are still part of the context that we began in chapter 24, which has been called the, uh, Isaiah's little apocalypse. It's kind of like the book of Revelation from Israel's point of view. In, in, in a sense. The idea is that um, uh, in spite of all the judgment that we've already read about and remains, because when we get to chapter 28 and go through chapter 35, 34, we'll have seven more chapters of, of um, judgment and uh, condemnation. It's, it, this is hard. I thought the other morning, why didn't I do Ezekiel or Jeremiah? And they'd have been worse. <laughs> so, so we'll stay with Isaiah. But uh, in spite of all that, uh, in the middle of it, and this is, the, this is where we are in 24 to 27, in the middle of it there's hope. And the hope is extended to the righteous who must go through the time of judgment. Does that make sense to you? How are we going to survive as an Israelite? How shall we survive in the period when judgment rests upon Israel? Our hope is in the Lord, but how shall we survive? And you, the idea is that you survive based on the hope that God has given. I can't, I can't see the hope. I don't know what it's going to be exactly. There are some things in chapters 26 and 27 that we'll have to puzzle over and try to understand um, but there are there are glimmers of hope shadows of hope as it were and uh, the hope is the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham the hope is the fulfillment of the promises to David those will surely be fulfilled but when and how long must we wait um I was thinking on the way into church this morning about um, persecution because it, it looms large in my mind, uh, both by what we're facing in our country and what I'm reading in Isaiah. Um, persecution. Uh, in persecution, frequently the persecutor of a Christian, overt persecutor of a Christian, will say, why do you continue to hold on to that God? What is he doing for you? And the answer has to be um, because my faith shows the greatness of my God. I think he's more faithful and so I hold on to him. There is no place else. There is no anchor other than that to hold on to. Um, so uh, he gives them this kind of respite from the judgment passages in 24 to 27 in part to help them get through the times of trouble. Uh, if you look at chapter 28, 28 begins a series of, of uh, passages where uh, every significant break in the, in the section begins with the word woe in the NASV, chapter 28, 1. 29.1 in 29.15 
in 30 verse 1, in uh, 31 1, <laughs> uh, um, in 33 1. Are you with me here? So, so every passage begins with woe, and there's a judgment on some group that's in view here. It's mostly uh, messages against Israel uh, and the people of Israel. So how shall the righteous survive? You hold on for the promise of the future. How can I hold on for the promise of the future? I may never live to see it come to pass. I may die. What good is the promise to me if I die? Well, you hold on because you know what God has done in the past. And the God of the past hasn't changed. That very important verse, Hebrews 13.8, it's critically important for a variety of reasons, but one of them is um, this very point that I'm making. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, I have a doctorate from Dallas Seminary, and that means I know great great and wise things most people don't know. And Hebrews 13.8 comes after Hebrews 13.7. And in Hebrews 13, 7, uh, the author of Hebrews says, um, um, Take note of those who lead you and who speak to you the word of God, and observing the, uh, 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 observing the outcome of their lifestyle, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you follow? It's a great verse for the nature of Jesus. It's, a, it's an important verse for the deity of Christ. But in, in Hebrews, that's not the primary point. That point has been established already by the time you get to Hebrews 13.8. The point there is what God has been for your leaders in the past, he will be for you. And what he has been for you, he will be for your descendants. Are you, are you with me here? So the, the old song, who was that? Um, May all who come behind us find us faithful. Who, who sang that? I can't remember. Steve Green. Um, um, that's going to be the point for these passages and for us as we read them. So let's go back to Isaiah 26. Here in chapter 26, the prophet is, as it were, writing a song of celebration for the celebrants before they even need it. But David had done a few of these things, uh, Psalm 31, Psalm 30 rather, is a psalm for the dedication of the house, the heading says. Well, David wasn't going to live to see the dedication of the house, the temple, but he wrote a song for it. Are you with me here? So, so Isaiah is in effect writing a song for generations to come to sing when they experience the saving work of God, but especially when this all comes to pass. So verse uh, chapter 26 is broken up into, into a few sections here. Verses 1 to 4 first, Judah's exulting in the Lord. In that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. And notice the words in that day. Uh, that is almost a structural marker in these passages. In that day, in that day, in that day. And so you've got to watch that. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. 
He sets up walls and ramparts for security. Open the gates that the righteous nation might enter the one that remains faithful. The steadfast of mind, and the NASV reads here, are one of these favorite verses we have from Isaiah. Uh, The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For in uh, in, in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. There's language here that was appropriate to the day in which this was written. It wouldn't be very meaningful to us uh, in large measure. Uh, Cities and ramparts and walls are of no consequence when you've got air air forces and artillery. Yes? So um, warfare has changed, but the imagery has not. The rock here is not uh, so much the... um, the strength of a rock, it is, it is the place where you would build a fortress. Because in the day when you are fighting with thrown projectiles, <laughs> yes, uh, the, the, the higher your, your position is, the less force the spears, the arrows have when they get to you. So it's, it's much better to be uh, at, the t- at the top than at the bottom attacking. So... Uh, God is our rock. He is a fortress, a fortress like none we have ever seen. Jerusalem was a fortress, but it couldn't withstand the armies of Babylon. Why? Because God wasn't fighting for Israel. He was fighting against Israel. When Babylon... What... what, how does the, the name Babylon function in your mind? What, what are the ideas associated with it? Bad, sin, confusion, hmm? debauchery, not so much. That, that was there. I mean, it was a sinful city. Pride and power, to my mind, and power. Yeah, Babylon had a long history, but it's a long history like Rome's. Well, I know, uh, but my point is, well, it was still in existence. It didn't go out of existence until around 220 A.D. I uh, finally found that. I've been searching for that for years and finally found that last year. <sighs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, but it had a long history, but it was a history. But when Isaiah is writing, it's a long history like Rome's. Ancient glory, modern place where everybody wants to go but not much power and not much influence are you with me like Omaha Omaha <laughs> I wouldn't even step into that <laughs> uh, the, so, so for Isaiah's day Babylon was kind of a non-issue they they had a king, but he was subservient to the Assyrian king and, and didn't have much power. Assyria was the big power in, in Isaiah's day, but, but then Babylon comes on the scene. I want you to hear this. Are you listening? Are you, this, this, is, this is good. <laughs> Babylon comes on the scene in 609, again, with power. It really comes big power. They, they wipe out 
with the uh, Medes and Persians, they wipe out the, the Assyrian Empire. So 609 BC, and they remain in power until 539 BC. How many years? Yeah? 70 years. How long was Israel's Babylonian captivity? When the captivity was over, Babylon was over too. Because <laughs> God did it. God, God fought again. See, this is the point. The, the uh, rulers, we saw this back in Isaiah, what was that, 8 and 9. The Assyrians are powerful because they're the axe in the, in the hand of the Lord, as Isaiah says. Are you with me here? The only reason they're powerful is that God is using them to judge Judah and the northern kingdom. Am I making sense so far? So the Lord really is a strong city. If the Lord is fighting for you, it doesn't matter who's fighting against you. <laughs> if the Lord's fighting against you, it doesn't matter who's fighting for you. <laughs> and so... When God is fighting against a nation, it cannot stand. It must succumb. It must come under his judgment. Uh, now, I heard a whistle just a minute ago. Um, I'm thinking of Romans 1 again. And the way God judges sin is by handing people over to more and more sin. So when God is fighting against a nation... It doesn't matter who's fighting for it. Um, so verses 1 to 4, we're looking forward to a time when God will finish with all his plans for the nations. That is, all his plans for the nations holding off uh, uh, on his own work and bringing to, to a consummation his salvation. Why is he taking so long? I wish I knew an answer to that question. But I do remind you that with the Lord is a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. So from the days of Isaiah, it's only 2.7 days. I'm sorry, uh, yeah, 2.7 days since Isaiah was prophesying. Okay. So it's not all that far back. Yes, sir. We take that as uh, there is such a thing as perfect peace that we can we can have it, mm -hmm. and that yeah. uh, we can have unshakable trust yeah. in the rock. Yes. So I, what's the difference whether we die in tribulation or if we have that? That's trust? right. It doesn't matter. That's the point. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Um, so if the persecutor should ask, uh, uh what makes you keep trusting in that God? Because he's so faithful. And I want you to know how faithful he is. So I'm trusting in him so that you will see how, tr how, how trustworthy he is. We are, as it were, Job's who are showing the trustworthiness of God by what we go through and, and maintain our trust in God. That doesn't mean that I won't have any nervousness ever. <laughs> it don't, doesn't mean that there won't be any anxiety, but I don't let anxiety take over. 
Am I making sense to you? There are some things that are on my mind that wake me up at night. You don't have anything like that going on in your world. But there are, there are things that wake me up at night, and I, I toss and turn. And the only reason I'm tossing and turning is because I, I'm not sure that the Lord can take care of this. And some of the things that I'm tossing and turning about are things that I need to trust the Lord and go get involved in. Are, are you with me here? But I haven't made the decision this is a good idea yet. <laughs> are, am I making sense to you? So as I come to real faith, really mature faith, I could live completely uh, a placid life in the midst of turmoil on every side. So verse 5 then, verses 5 through 11 uh, Judah's thanks for the Lord's judgments. Let me see here. Um, uh, Judah's thanks for the Lord's judgment. Uh, for, and here, notice the word for. Yes? Do you have for, because, what do you have? Okay, when you see that, look back at the preceding context. What, what's the point? What is the author trying to tell us the reasoning of verses 1 to 4 is the basis for what he's going to say in verses 5 to 11. For he has brought low those who dwell on high, the unassailable city. Has God ever done that in the past? Then why should you think your unassailable city is bigger than anything God's ever done before? For you it's bigger. <laughs> Uh, He lays it low. He lays it low to the ground. He casts it to the dust. The foot will trample it. The feet of the afflicted. The steps of the helpless. The way of the righteous is smooth. O upright one, make the path of the righteous level. Indeed, while following the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you eagerly. Your name, even your memory is the desire of our souls. At night my soul longs for you. Indeed, my spirit within me seeks you diligently, for when the earth experiences your judgments, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. So I want to see you do this. I want these people who are wicked to see you in action. They will learn righteousness. Though the wicked is shown favor. So if you keep showing mercy to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. He deals unjustly in the land of uprightness and does not perceive the majesty of the Lord. O Lord, your hand is lifted up, yet they do not see it. They see your zeal for the people and are put to shame. Indeed, fire will devour your enemies. Um, The way of the righteous is smooth. But it is, but it is. Um, what we what we don't really understand and, and embrace is that the way of righteousness is is the the best of all routes. Even when it's tough, it's the best of all possible routes. Um, the only route through, Dwayne, where are you there? 
the only route through whatever it is I can't even remember the name of what you what you said a while ago uh, the, the bumps on your eyes the only way through this is through this procedure is that tomorrow Wednesday, Wednesday. it's only that's the only way through this my favorite professor said if I knew where I was going to die I'd never go near the place <laughs> The problem is, there's also the when, and I can't avoid that. <laughs> so the only way, Jan and I were on a, on a canoe trip down the, I, I can't remember what it was, the White River maybe in northern Arkansas. It was way beyond anything I should have been on. The youth, the youth group at our church decided they were going to go on this. I, oh gosh, that was, uh, we got into a, a situation. Jan, every time Jan put the paddle in the water, the canoe went over. Honey, <laughs> just just quit putting the canoe, uh, the, the paddle in the water. But we got into a situation where we needed new, two experienced canoeists, and we didn't have any. I was more experienced than she, but not enough to make it worthwhile. <laughs> and uh, we hit we hit a, a really tough spot. The canoe went over. She went over uh, with it. I did too, but I don't remember what happened to me. I was just worried about her because she. I thought that canoe is going to go over her head. It's going to knock her in the head. It's going to. She's going to be unconscious and drown. And she came up out of the water, crawling up on the side of the of the of the uh, river. She was in shock. Her body was just trembling. <laughs> she said, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> And I said, honey, the only way home is downriver. <laughs> as, as it turned out, there were no more rapids, thank you, Lord. But, but, uh, but the point was, they're, they're just things you have to go through. And the only way that's safe is to go the way that's difficult. This, this, that does not pertain to anything, but I, I raised my hand. After the river kept going and going, and I raised my hand and says, When is it going to end? And this couple comes by and says, We're out of beer, too. <laughs> <laughs> Jan, Jan is a lush. <laughs> So, so the point is that the way of the, of the righteous is smooth. It's the way to hope. It's the, way, it's, it's the way through trouble, but it's the way to hope. Does this make sense to you? And we're not alone when we go through it. Before, when you started, you were talking about the righteous. Okay, the righteous. Mm-hmm. Now, does that include Israel? It's the righteous in Israel that he's talking about specifically. Israel being righteous? Well, people in the, the remnant. The remnant? Yeah. Okay, the remnant. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, going on, verse um, 12. Um, let's see. There's more here than I have time to do. Um, verse 12. 
although Judah's immediate future is dark, Isaiah is certain of the ultimate outcome. And that's where we have to be. The immediate future may be dark. So we're looking at Judah's thanks for the Lord's favor to his, his period, to his people, it should have been. Um, so verses, what are we, 12 to 19. Lord, you will establish peace for us. Um, since you have also performed for us all our works. And I, it's not clear what that means, so please don't ask. Verse 13, O Lord our God, other masters beside you have ruled us, but through you alone we confess your name. We, we have no other thing to brag about. This is all we have, mm-hmm. your name. And having that, we have everything. The dead will not live, uh, the departed spirits. We're talking here about the enemies who are at- attacking or, and going to attack Israel in the future. Dark days remain. The dead will not live. The dead departed spirits will not rise. Therefore, you have punished and destroyed them. You have wiped out the remembrance of them. You have increased the nation, O Lord. So he's turned to a different point of view. You have increased the nation. You were glorified. You have extended all the borders of the land. O Lord, they sought you in distress. They could only whisper a prayer. Uh, Some of the translations go in different directions here. This is, I think, pretty good translation of it. Uh, The NASV here. They could only whisper a prayer. They couldn't even muster the strength of voice. All they could do is whisper. Your chastening was upon them. As the pregnant woman approaches the time to give birth, she writhes and cries out in her labor pains, Thus were we before you, O Lord. Darkness is ahead. Yes? And glory's on the other side of darkness. But the way of the righteous through the darkness is smooth. We were pregnant. We writhed in labor. We gave birth, as it seems, only to the wind. We could not accomplish deliverance for the earth, nor were the inhabitants of the world born. But 19. Your dead will rise. Their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy. For your dew is as the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. So here we're turning from a review of the judgment that's coming on the nations to a time of the salvation of Israel. Is there, is death the worst of all evils? Not for not for those who trust the Lord. Verse 20. Um, I've got notes here that I don't have time to deal with. Verse 20. Exhortation to hide during the coming swift judgment. These verses qualify this joyous announcement um, uh, of of resurrection and national birth with a command to be patient just a little longer. So verse 20. Come, my people, enter into your rooms, close your doors behind you, hide for a little while. It's kind of going back to the days of the Passover. Until the indignation runs its course. For behold, the Lord is about to come out of his place, 
to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth will reveal her bloodshed um, uh, and will no longer cover her slain. Fred? Yeah. Yes. In the Old Testament, when you do you know of a place where it's used? Is is it in this text? Yeah, apparently that's, uh, what version are you reading? Okay, it's, it's, uh, it's giving an interpretation. The Hebrew text simply says, um, uh, verse 19, you who lie, let's see, your dead will live, their corpses will rise, you, you who lie in the dust awake for joy for your due is, and the earth will give up. So it doesn't have die in the Lord in the Hebrew text. Yeah. Yeah, but but it's it's sound in, as far as it goes. They're they're dying in faith in the Lord. They're dying, having not given up on the Lord. Um, yeah, the the issue for us is, folks, that I, I watch I watch television shows, I watch movies, and people are so afraid to die. Uh, what is here so wonderful that it's not giving, worth giving up? For us, as children of God, that answer has a that question has a very positive answer. Yes, for most of the world, this is all the good that they will ever know. They don't know what's after death. They hope nothing is. Yes, but all the good they're ever going to have is is on this side of death. Um, but even for Israel, death is not the end. Um, once again, I, I may have said this before, but in Proverbs, uh, I, I, let me say it differently. In the Old Testament, it's common for scholars to say there is no um, developed concept of life after death. It's not developed, but it's not developed in the New Testament either, brothers and sisters. Uh, the, the, heavenly, the New Jerusalem is not heaven. It's it, it's the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven from God. Are you with me here? So that's not heaven. I know that we're gathered to the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's about all we're told. We're not really told much about our existence between death and the resurrection. Are, are you with me here? But to be absent, so Philippians chapter 1, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. This day you will be with me in paradise, Jesus told the thief on the cross. So there is, there is hope and rest for us, yes, but also longing because we're waiting for the resurrection of the body. So in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, I don't want to be unclothed, but to be clothed upon. So it's a, a period of being unclothed in some sense. and It's incomplete. The salvation is not complete. Um, uh, so, but even, even with that, the Old Testament doesn't have a large teaching on life after death, but it's not absent. 
in the book of Proverbs, one of the one of the blessings held up to the to the wise person is long life. But Proverbs one has the wicked saying uh, to the to the student of wisdom, "Come, put in your lot with us. Let's go find a uh, a a." a uh, I forget the language he uses. A righteous man, let's kill him. We'll take his goods and we'll we'll divide them among ourselves. Proverbs from the very beginning tells us long life cannot be on this earth. Or if it is, then it deconstructs its own message in Proverbs chapter 1. Are you with me here? So Proverbs has... And there's a there's a, a long argument to develop this, but Proverbs is full of the concept of life beyond death, and I find this in other places as well in the Psalms, and here I find it in Isaiah. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in this age. Our hope is in an age to come. Our hope is not even in heaven. Our hope is in the world to come, in the in the reign of Jesus. Are you with me here? Yes. No. So uh, it's not even in the millennium. Our hope is in the new heavens and the new earth. So Isaiah is looking through all this darkness and saying, hide for a little while. This is coming, but it's not the end. Yes, ma'am. Is that what this, the last sentence in verse 19 and verse 18 is about? Do you understand that? But with what you just said, is that what that's referring to? And the earth will give birth to the divine mm-hmm. spirits? Mm-hmm. It, well, I don't know. It's it, it, we're probably talking about people rising from the dead, which he had which he had mentioned in verse nineteen. So, chapter twenty seven. Then, Israel's enemies will be punished, but Israel's remnant will be restored because the Lord cares for them. So, chapter twenty seven, uh, verse one. Final conquest. I wanted to spend get a, a, a visual of this. I didn't do it, so uh, you're not afflicted by any more pictures. But, but uh, Leviathan, what a strange character! Uh, in in all of the cultures around Israel, Leviathan is a massive monster that opposes the gods and opposes their order. Leviathan, in in Psalm 78, has already been destroyed in Egypt, and it's it's it's. Also, Leviathan is God's pet that plays in his backyard in Psalm 104. <laughs> uh, there's a pun that goes on in that passage about Leviathan that I can't reproduce in English. But, the, uh, but now, Leviathan, this great enemy, <laughs> is simply going to be destroyed. In that day, the Lord will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, with his fierce and great mighty sword, even Leviathan, the twisted serpent, and he will kill the dragon who lives in the sea. What is this dragon who lives in the sea? I don't know. Maybe it's the beast from the, the sea that Revelation talks about. Yes, Fred? In the creation museum, there's an entire wall dealing with the term Leviathan. Okay. Dragon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Verse 2 then moves us on. Verses 2 to 6. The Lord's vineyard is safe. <laughs> a vineyard is not a very strong place. It has a stone wall around it, and there's a watchtower in it. But the stone wall is just 
kind of thrown up for the harvest for the for the growing season. It falls down and has to be repaired every year. Are, am I making sense to you? Um, so, the the vineyard is not a very strong place, but this is a strong place. Look, verse two, two to six. In that day, a vineyard vine sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. I water it every moment so that no one will damage it. I guard it night and day. I have no wrath. Should someone come to me, I'm sorry, should someone give me briars and thorns in battle, then I would step on them and I would burn them completely or let him rely on my protection. You want to be my enemy, I'll destroy it. You want to be my friend, I'll protect you. Or let him rely on my protection. Let him make peace with me. Let him make peace with me, indeed. In the days to come, Jacob will take root, Israel will blossom and sprout, and they will fill the whole world with fruit. Verse 7, then his enemies will be destroyed. Verses 7 through 11. Like the striking of him, this is an odd verse, it's hard to kind of pin down. Let this, like the striking of him who struck them, has he struck them? <laughs> what? what hmm? <laughs> uh, was the brutality of the Assyrians against Israel the brutality of the Lord? Well, Isaiah already said this in Isaiah 8. I sent him to judge, but he thought he was going to, to take plunder and to destroy nations. Are you with me? So... Um, so here, how has God dealt with you? Well, he's always left a remnant. And he goes on. Uh, or like the slaughter of his slain, have they been slain? What happened, what's going to happen in Isaiah 35 and 36 to the Assyrian army? The whole army is going to be wiped out. Yes? So like the striking of him who struck them, has he, has he struck them? I'm talking about Israel. The them is Israel. Or like the slaughter of his slain, have they been slain? Has Israel been slain like that? Have they been struck, st- struck like Assyria? No, there's a remnant. You contended with them by banishing them, by driving them away. This is still future for Isaiah. With his fierce wind, he has expelled them on the day of the east wind. Therefore, through this, Jacob's iniquity will be forgiven. And this will be uh, the full price of the pardoning of his sin when he makes all the altar stones like pulverized chalk stones when Asherim and incense altars will not stand. For the fortified city is isolated, a homestead forlorn and forsaken like the desert. There the calf will graze. Perhaps we're talking about Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom. And there it will lie down and feed on its branches. When its limbs are dry, they are broken off. Women come and make fire with them. For they are not a people of discernment. Therefore, their maker will not have compassion on them. And their creator will not be gracious to them. And then finally, verses 12 and 13. um, Worldwide return. After the judgment... We've said this on several occasions up to now in our study, but Peter keeps coming back. It's time for judgment to begin from the household of faith. 
And if it begins with us, what's the end of those who are outside? When, if you should live to see persecution personally, and you are personally being persecuted, keep in mind the end, the outcome of the persecutor's life and the outcome of yours. Hold on to the hope that's before you. That's what Jesus did. Do you not remember Hebrews 12 in the opening verses? Uh, Consider him who endured such, an, uh, such opposition from sinners against himself. Which, which passage? Um, I don't know. I, I don't think so. 1948 may be a beginning of it, but it's not a fulfillment of any prophecy that I know. Um, the return of Israel that's prophesied is a return in faith, not a return in unbelief. And most Israelites, most Israelis uh, living today are atheists. Uh, so th- th- this is not... And the nations are bringing them with joy. And the nations haven't been bringing Israel back to the land in joy. Um, so, in that day, the Lord will, uh, will start his threshing from the flowing stream of the Euphrates to the brook of Egypt. And you will be gathered up one by one, O sons of Israel. It will come about also in that day that a great trumpet will be blown And those who were perishing in the land of Assyria, who were scattered in the land of Egypt, will come and worship the Lord in the holy mountain in Jerusalem. The people who came back in 539 B.C., 536, started the worship of the Lord, but they didn't fulfill it. They didn't rebuild the temple. For the ancient Near East, to be a god without a temple is to be no god at all. And what Israel was saying was, well, we're doing what we, sh- what we have to. We're not going to do what's really necessary. Show the honor of our God by building the building. Sixteen years they waited to rebuild. Because they thought, surely God would have us feed our children. This is Haggai chapter 1. Surely we need to get the harvest in. Then we'll go work on the temple. But the harvest was bad. So they waited to the next harvest. And it was bad. <laughs> And the next harvest was bad. And that they did for 16 years. And they couldn't understand why. And Haggai is sent, chapter 1, Haggai is sent in his first message to call them to covenant loyalty by rebuilding the temple. So here, uh, verses 12 and 13 are not even a reference to the return under Haggai and Zechariah and Zerubbabel. They're not referring, referring to the return under Nehemiah and Ezra. They're not return, referring to 1948 because they're not worshiping the, joy, the Lord with joy in the holy mountain. They can't even go to the holy mountain. Are you with me? Pardon? So, is there a hope? Yes, because God made an oath to Abraham. And he made an oath to David. 
those two covenants are interrelated, fundamentally interrelated. And so if, I'm a, if, if I have an oath from God, I must have the fulfillment of the promise. This is why one of the reasons I'm a premillennialist, because there must be a future for Israel, not as church, but, but for the heirs of Abraham, Isaac, and, 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 and uh, Jacob. Are you with me here? Yes, ma'am. During that uh, 48 war, or the war, no, the, it, <laughs> they, they got right up to it and then they backed off. Yeah. <coughs> Yadin pulled back, and who knows why? What in the world was going through his mind? Uh, wasn't not a, God's it wasn't God's timing, certainly that is the case. But from Israel's point of view, what in the world was going through his mind? So, well, what are we saying today? We're saying, folks, in hard times, remember what God has done in the past. And just as Isaiah draws on imagery of the Passover, go hide in your rooms until the wrath passes by. As he draws on the past, remember the past times of salvation for Israel. And all of the work that God has done for Israel. Remember the past times of salvation in Jesus that, that Christian people have experienced in the last 2,000 years. Think about it. Go back to that and remember the God who has acted on the behalf of, of great saints in the past whose stories we know, and saints of the past whose stories we will never hear till we're standing finally in the presence of the Lord and we get to hear their stories. Can you imagine what that day is going to look like? With all those stories behind us, And all of that great cloud of witnesses, as Hebrews 12 says, they're not watching us to see how we're going to perform. They're giving testimony to us that God is worthy of our trust. And hold fast to the promises that remain before. Cling to them because the way of the righteous is smooth. It's always the best route. Let's close with prayer. Father, what a, what a pair of chapters you have given to us to study this morning. They're encouraging, they're challenging. Father, we both rejoice and dread what they seem to be saying. So if we have understood them, Father, draw our minds away from the trouble to yourself, to your faithfulness that we have seen over and over and over again in your word. <coughs> both in the Old Testament, in the history of Israel, and in the New Testament, in the stories of Jesus, and in the book of Acts, in the stories of the apostles, and in the book of Revelation, with the hope that you have set before us, with the work of Jesus that has given us hope. Father, let us cling to you, and not give up, because things are hard, remembering that even as hard as they are, the way of the righteous is smooth. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.